Anyways, for those who I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision, and I always love the opportunity to open up God's Word and see what He has for us so that we can better walk in a manner that best reflects Him. If you're new to this series, or maybe this is your first time here at New Vision, we are glad that you are here. We've been going through a series through the book of Exodus. It has been one of my favorite series thus far. Some of that has been some really good reminders. Some of it have been good reminders, but it's really reflected my heart in a way that I did not want to see. We've been talking about this kind of sentence that God draws us out to draw us in. And yes, that's the story of the Egyptian, the, the story of the Israelites, but that's also the story of us as followers of God. We saw the first week that God is is really, really good at using the most unlikeliest of people to bring about his glory and to reveal his glory. We saw that through the midwives. And then we saw Moses drawn out of the reeds in order to take his place to do what God has called him to do. And we were reminded that we have a choice. We can be drawn out or we can hide out, but to be drawn out is a better choice. And then we talked about anger and how It can be leveraged for good, but typically we don't leverage it for good. And then we saw this encounter that Moses had with the I am, and it reminded us all that we need an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because it changes us. And then last week, we had the talk. It was one of those talks that were necessary, but it was really difficult because we were reminded that just because we're walking with the Lord doesn't mean that it'll be easy or it'll be fun, but it does mean that God is present and he knows what he is doing. And so let me go ahead and say that again. God is present and God knows what he's doing. Don't let the circumstances of the day let you, kind of lead you in what you think because God knows what he's doing and he has not left the throne, everybody. Today, we're gonna continue in Exodus chapter seven. Um, You can go ahead and turn there. We're gonna be jumping right in in here in just a moment. And we're going to see this encounter with Pharaoh, Moses, and Aaron. And God is going to reveal his mercy in a way that we wouldn't think as being merciful, but he's gonna allow Pharaoh to see that the things he has on the throne of his life are not the best things. And so he's going to expose these idols. He's going to expose these little G gods. And really, as we look at this story, we're going to see a lot of ourselves. And so in order for us best to be prepared for the message today, I want to introduce you to my friend, Charles II. This is Charles II, everybody. Charles II is going to help us navigate Scripture. And let me go ahead and say, someone asked me this, hey, is he Charles II? because it didn't go well with Charles I. No, that is not what happened. Charles II is called Charles II because my son, Nash, who is six, has a, um, a sloth whose name is Charles. And so he reminded me that this is not the first Charles, it's second Charles. And so Charles represents us. And some of y'all are like, Nick, I'm not a fish. Just, just hold up, calm down, all right? Charles represents us, and see, Charles right now is in the midst of God's best. God has a place for him. God has called Charles II to follow him and to trust him, and Charles II has seen the faithfulness. He gets food. He gets protection. He gets nourishment. He gets all the things he could ever want, and he just continues to walk in line with what the king has for him, but Charles II and I had a conversation backstage, and you might be thinking, Nick, you talk to fish. Back up off me. You don't know me, all right? But me and Charles II were having the conversation, and Charles II saw this other dwelling place. 
And Charles II looked at this other dwelling place and said, you know what, Nick? That's how Charles talks. He says, you know what, Nick? I like that over there. I'm not sure what that is, but that looks better. It's shiny. It has these silver things on the bottom. It has buttons. I think I need that in my life. I mean, it's similar to what's over here, but I'm kind of in control over here. I get to determine what to do over here. And so I think that that is what I want. And me, I, you know, I want to be a good friend to Charles II. And so me and Charles II had a conversation. I said, you know what, Charles II? I will give you what you want. Now, here's the thing. Charles II is very similar to us, and he sometimes doesn't cough. Oh, like a champ, y'all. Fourth time's the charm. So I'm going to take Charles II over here because this is what he wanted. He thought he knew better about his life, so here you go. There you go, Charles II. There you go. Get out of the net. Uh, he, he's gotten smart. He's like, I ain't getting out. Not today, devil. Not today. There you go, Charles II. Now, Charles II is pretty happy because he got to determine what he got to do. He's over here and he thinks that he is living his best life right now. And he thinks that because he's in control that he knows best and he knows what he is doing. Now, the thing about Charles II, he has grown comfortable over here too real quick. He's like, hello, Blades. You're my friend. See, Charles II doesn't understand that those blades are not his friend, but he thinks that he is living his life in such a way that it is best. But here's what is true. This is counterfeit to what is best. Now, he thinks he knows better, but ultimately, when you have lesser kings and lesser things on the throne of your life, it will never yield what you want it to yield. It will always cost you more than you think it's going to cost. Y'all getting real nervous. I love it. Now, let me go ahead and say, for those of you in the crowd who are like, man, I love pets. Please do not hurt. I'm not going to harm Charles II. Charles II has been living his best life backstage. He has everything he could ever need. But I think what's interesting is in this illustration is this, that we are similar to this. See, we know the invitation from the king, but yet we go, hey, king, I think I know better. And I know that might not be best, but that is what I want, and I want it now, and I'll do whatever I need to do in order to get what I want. And we're going to see today that Pharaoh has this posture. He has his little kings on his, on, on his throne, which are idols. He, he is directing his path, and ultimately, Pharaoh is the one that's sitting on the throne of his life, and he is trying to lead his life. And God's like, no. There's a better way and another way to live. See, Pharaoh, if you don't listen to me, you're going to get really ultimately the only thing that your idols can provide, and that's a means to an end. And it's easy to point the finger at Pharaoh, but I think the more we look at Pharaoh, the more we will see that he reflects us. May we be a people that not choose the counterfeit blenders of life and idols, but may we be a people that choose the fishbowl of God's righteousness and obedience, because this is best. And may over the course of the next few moments, may God realize and show us and reveal to us his mercy and his plan and his invitation. So before we dive in, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we do not understand it all. We know that nobody does, but we pray over the next few moments that you reveal to us what is true. 
God, it is a difficult thing when we are going to remove an idol from a place that you and only you belong. But Father, may you do the hard work and may we be a part of the renovation that you desire to do in our hearts. Father, may we trust you. May we follow you. And may we do all that you have called us to do and know that your ways are better even in the moments where it doesn't seem that way. So Father, we love you. We thank you. And pray all these things in your name. Amen. Exodus chapter 7. So where we find Moses is Moses has just been obedient. He has gone to Pharaoh. He has had the conversation. He said, hey, the I am has told me to tell you to let his people go. And he has this conversation. And even though God said, hey, Moses, I want you to know that Pharaoh is not going to let your people go. Moses is a little like taken back by the fact that Pharaoh goes, I don't know who your God is. I don't know his name. And, and, and also my response is it's about to get harder. And Moses gets something that he didn't think he was going to receive. He thought that if I am obedient, then God, you'll just work it out and then the blessings will flow. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a place where you have been obedient and you go, hey, God, remember, I'm being obedient right now, but things aren't going the way I thought they would go. You ever been in a place where you're like, hey, God, I give 10% of everything I make. Why I still got bills? Hey, God, I've been obedient. I've been walking with you. I've been reading your word. I've been preparing myself to be best and to reflect you well. And you said that you would bring me somebody. Where is my boo? They had not gotten here yet. And you can fill in the blank. Now, and let me remind us of something. Obedience sometimes may not appear to be best. Just wait. And for some of us, and myself included, I don't like that. When I'm obedient, I want immediate fulfillment. But can I just tell you, the fulfillment comes in the obedience. Like, we're not obedient to get something. We're obedient because we are becoming something. And what we are becoming is more like Christ. And so it sometimes takes time for the fulfillment. But here's the truth. And we're going to see this in Exodus. The promised land is coming, everybody. It's just a process to get there. And so obedience takes time to see really the fulfillment of it. Just wait. Exodus 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. When it says harden Pharaoh's heart, God is giving Pharaoh up to his own ways. He's like, okay, Pharaoh, if you don't want to listen to me, I'm going to allow the consequences. I'm going to allow you to continue to lean the way you are leaning and walk the way you want to walk. And as Pharaoh is walking in disobedience, it is continuing to make him even harder to the receiving the things of God and even recognizing what, that there could be a better way. Just like my friend Charles II, he was hanging out down there by those blades. You know, and probably eventually he will forget that those blades are even there, but he doesn't recognize that at any moment, the thing he has grown so mo most comfortable with and the way he is walking could yield something that is not good at all. It keeps on going. It says this, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. 
And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Here's what is true about our God. God's ultimate goal is to reveal his glory. Let me say that again. God's ultimate goal is to reveal his glory. God's ultimate goal, wait for it, is not your happiness. God's ultimate goal for my life is not my happiness. Why? Because I am quick to trade true happiness and joy for counterfeit things. God is not all about my happiness. He is about his glory, which he knows is ultimately the thing that we all need. But there are times where I'm like, hey, God, you need to get on my level. I know you're all about you and you spoke the world into existence. That's great. But I need you to get with my agenda. And God's like, your agenda is too small for me. I'm about much, much more. God's ultimate goal is to reveal his glory because the more he reveals his glory, the better we can see him, the more we trust him, and the more we walk in his ways. His ultimate goal is to reveal his glory. Verse number six. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. I thought it was odd that they revealed the ages of Aaron and Moses. Like, why would God's word reveal the ages? I think there's two reasons. One is to reveal to us that no matter how old we are, we still have not arrived. Let me go ahead and say that. No matter how old you are, it doesn't mean that you have arrived. When I was 18, I thought when I was 18, I arrived. Like, there's nothing more I need to know. My parents don't know anything. Then when I turned, you know, 21, 22, I'm like, oh, I know everything there is to know. I need to go apologize to my parents. But can I just tell you, you still haven't arrived. Sometimes you think when you graduate from college or when you get the job, then you arrive. Listen, you don't ever arrive because you will forevermore be in process, everybody. You don't arrive. Because what happens when we think that we have arrived, we're no longer open to growth. And that is not the posture in which God has called you. The other thing I think he is doing is reminding us that no matter how old you are, God desires to use you. If you're 80, if you're 18, if you're 25, if you're seven, God wants to use you. That's the invitation. And I love the fact that he goes, listen, Moses and Aaron are 80 and 83, and God is still doing a work. They are still useful for the purposes of the kingdom. Verse number eight. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Let's have real talk, everybody. Is it me and the Lord have been talking? I want to be obedient. I want to follow the ways of the Lord. I want to display his goodness and his glory with my life. But God, you ain't got to use a snake. Like, yes, Lord, I am willing. Your ways are my ways. I want to follow you. As long as you don't tell this brother to throw a snake down and use it. No. But here's something I love about what this story reveals. It reveals the growth of Moses. Did you notice that Moses didn't go, uh, God, I don't know if that's a good idea. Snakes are dangerous. God, I don't really know if I could do that because, you know, I'm just Moses. No, 
He is obedient. It shows that he has been in this process with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he has learned how to trust the king better than he ever has. And sometimes what we do, let me not speak for you. Sometimes what I do is I want to put these characters in the Bible in this another, like this another level of obedience and faithfulness. Well, man, I can, I'm not Moses. Oh, yeah, you didn't kill an Egyptian and bury him in the sand. You might not have a speech impediment, but we are normal, everyday humans, just like Moses was. Moses wasn't special, everybody. Can I say that? God had a plan for his life. And he walked in step with that. He was walking in obedience to get to where God had called him to be. That is still true for us. So let us not be a people that say, oh, if I only had the faith like Moses. You do. The same God is revealing himself to you to walk in his ways and to trust him. This is not a supernatural faith. This should be everyone's response to God's word. Immediate, instinctive, and loving obedience, immediate. God, because of your faithfulness and because of how you have shown up in the past, I'm going to step in obedience. Instinctive, I've seen you move, I've seen you work, and if you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means you're gonna continue to be faithful so I can walk with you. Loving, it's us responding to the love of the king that he has bestowed upon us and has shown us the extent of his love through his sacrifice and surrendering of his son Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. So this should be our posture. So the other night, I was yelling at my kids. That happens from time to time, everybody. Hopefully none of y'all are shocked. Like, ooh, pastor, you yell all the time. I'm still in process. And so at my house, we have a rhythm. We have a rhythm. We do the same thing Monday through Friday in the morning and in the evenings. We have a rhythm. And my kids know the rhythm. We've done it for a while. In the mornings, as you wake up, you brush your teeth, you put deodorant on, put on extra deodorant because, whoo, Lord have mercy. You put deodorant on, you get dressed, you go downstairs, you eat breakfast that you didn't make that your father who loves you made so you don't get to complain about it. That's a whole nother subject for another day. Then you make sure you don't have your breakfast all over you. Then you get the lunch again that you did not make or pay for, so I don't want to hear your opinions. And you take that lunch and you put it in a book bag, which me and your mama bought, and then you go to school. (laughs) Y'all, I'm telling you, it's a hot mess right here, all right? Like, that's the rhythm. When you get home from school, you, you do your homework, you grab a snack, then we eat dinner, then you go take a shower, you brush your teeth, you use the potty, and then you get in the bed. Y'all, every week, it's the same thing. The other day, I'm having a conversation with my youngest, Nash. He's, I love him. Bless his soul. Um, I'm having a conversation. I'm like, hey, buddy, go ahead and go upstairs, go brush your teeth. Use the potty. And here's the deal. If you have a young boy, you know that they got to use the potty before they go to bed or other bad things happen in the night, okay? So I say that to him, and I yell at him, hey, just do that, you know, and he's like, okay. And then I hear this noise upstairs that does not sound like steps being taken in obedience. It sounds like two bears fighting, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, Nash, are you brushing your teeth and using the potty? No, I had to put my shirt back on. Buddy, how did your shirt get off? I don't know. <laughs> then you start praying out loud, dear Jesus. And I say, hey, Nash, man, I, I'm going to have to take away some video, go, video game time because you're not listening. I just want you to listen. And then I hear the tears. 
And my wife is downstairs with me, and she's observing all the things that are transpiring. And I look at her, and I, and I say something like this. I don't remember the exact words I said, but I said, you know what, babe? I just want them to be obedient and to listen immediately. And then you won't believe who decided to show up in that conversation uninvited. The Holy Spirit going to start talking. I didn't invite you to this conversation, Holy Spirit. He goes, hey, Nick, what did you just say? I said, I just want them to be immediately obedient because I know what's best. Huh. That's weird. <laughs> Don't you think that's weird that you just said that? I know. I'm the daddy. They should listen to me. I have what's best for them. Really? Huh. Nick, I just want to ask you a couple questions. I don't want any questions, Holy Spirit. Don't talk to me right now. I'm busy yelling at my children. It's not time for the Holy Spirit to intervene. But as the Holy Spirit gave me his unwanted knowledge and wisdom, he's like, hey, Nick, is your father good? Yeah. Has he been faithful in the past? Uh-huh. Is he the same yesterday, today, or forever? I think so, yes. So can, is he trustworthy? Uh-huh. And so you can walk in obedience because he's trustworthy. Yes, I can. And so here's the deal, guys. God has what's best. God has been faithful in the past, in the present, and he will be in the future. We can trust him. We can't put our trust in counterfeit things because those aren't him. We don't trust our ways because we really lead ourselves sometimes to not the best places. Verse 11. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and yet it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. I love this scene, y'all. God just, just is revealing he's a little gangster. I love it. So Pharaoh's people will release these snakes, and Pharaoh's like, look, look at what my guys are doing. And can I just tell you, this is such the ploy and kind of what the enemy does. He will take what God has done, and he will pervert it ever so slightly. He will give a counterfeit version. Like, so Pharaoh and his people are going, hey, look, we can do that too. And then God's like, no, you can't. And then God's snake eats up the other two snakes. And here's the deal. It's just revealing that those other two snakes were counterfeit. Y'all, the enemy has had the same play over and over and over again. He will take something good of God and try to take it and bend it ever so slightly, and he makes it counterfeit. Satan is the king of counterfeit. God is the king of exposing counterfeit, and continued surrender to counterfeit leads to a hard heart. That is the story of Pharaoh. Pharaoh trusted in his people, he trusted in his means, and he trusted in himself, and it did not yield anything good, and it led to his heart becoming more hard. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. I love that verse because I don't really need to give you an interpretation of it, right? Like, you got it. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to Charles II, but in the end, I'm not going to hurt that fish, by the way. 
it could lead to death. And what I love that God so does so beautifully with the plagues is he's directly attacking these false idols that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had. The first one that we see is going to be the Nile. The Nile was what they got, they thought that that was the source of life. And yet God's going to address that one first, and we're going to see this. This is God's mercy on display because he's exposing the idol to reveal what is real. His mercy should lead us from the blender of disobedience to the fishbowl of righteousness and obedience. That was the invitation he was giving to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh did not relent. So the first one, water turned to blood, Exodus 7, 17. God's going, I'm going to turn your, what you view as life-giving, what you view as the source of all life, I'm going to turn it to blood because I'm going to show you that life doesn't come from the now, life comes from me. The second plague we see is frogs, Exodus 8, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. And we see that frogs were everywhere, y'all. The only frog I want in my life is Kermit. That's just real talk. I don't, I, sometimes a frog will get on my back porch. I'm like, no, nah, you can have the porch frog. I ain't coming out there with you. And what is God doing here? Well, see, there was a goddess that had the head of a frog, and they had made these frogs as idols, and they made them as holy and sacred animals. And so it's almost as if God is going, okay, you like frogs, and you're going to build your life on these frogs. I'm going to give you frogs. How many frogs you want? You can have them all. And here's what's interesting about this to me. Like, they wouldn't have killed the frogs or gotten rid of the frogs because they viewed them as sacred. So here are these frogs coming out of everything and everywhere, and God's just revealing, you know what? That is not the right king for the throne of your life. The third plague was gnats. Now, I could go into detail, but y'all get it, right? Gnats. See, God took the soil of the ground because some of Pharaoh's wise men and priests and magicians would take soil from the ground and make it into something. And God's like, okay, I'm just gonna remind you that your worth and your value and the king of your life is not the soil of the ground, it's not the working of your hands, it is me. The fourth plague was flies, flies everywhere. And this is thought to be addressing the, the, the small G god, Kefir. He was depicted as a beetle, and he was thought to bring eternal life. And God's like, listen, these flies are not going to bring you eternal life. They're going to take life from you. The fifth plague was livestock. All of the livestock and cattle die in Egypt, all of it. And if you read a little bit more closely to this in Exodus 9, you'll see that the cattle and the livestock of the Israelites did not die. But everywhere else it died, and again, this was a sacred animal from the Egyptians' perspective. The sixth plague was boils. Listen, if you want to know what a boil is, you can Google it. I wouldn't eat first, though. And they were from head to toe of the people. See, a lot of these Egyptians put all their worth and value in the idol of beauty was sitting on their throne. They thought if I just looked the part, then I could be the part. And God's like, nope, nope, nope. I'm going to remove that from you so that you can see that it is counterfeit. 
The seventh plague was hail. It was the storm of storms. And it's like God was reminding, where is your refuge? Maybe that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Where do we go for refuge and peace? The eighth plague was locusts. And the ninth plague was darkness, which the interesting thing about this plague, it's almost as if God was saying, hey, if you want to keep down this path, I'm going to show you where this path is going to lead. It's only going to lead to dark things. It's going to be devoid of the light. And see, what's interesting is Pharaoh thought that he was a descendant of their sun god. And so the fact that God was able to turn the lights off and Pharaoh could not turn the lights on, God's going, hey, Pharaoh, just listen to me. Hey, Pharaoh, just listen to me. And he was forced to get face to face with who the king of his life was, and he was finding out that he was not a sufficient king of kings because he was not. His small g gods were not a sufficient king of kings. Others, or whatever they put their hope and trust in, was not a sufficient king of kings. It was counterfeit. So the question we have to ask ourselves in this place on this day, who sits on the throne of your life? Not who do you say sits on the throne of your life, but who sits on the throne of your life? Is it the king of kings or is it lesser things? Who sits on the throne of your life? John 10 says this beginning in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have a life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. While the good shepherd comes to bring life and life to the full. So the question we ask, have to ask ourselves, are we going to be a people that are blender people? are a people who are fishbowl people. If you would, bow your heads. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are willing to reveal what needs to be revealed, even when it's unpleasant and inconvenient. Thank you that in your mercy, you do not want us to allow our lives to be built on the foundation of Things that can never, ever satisfy. And God, that's hard sometimes because we think we know best, but we don't know best. So God, may we trust you. Maybe in this place today, there is someone who has not allowed you to be the king of their life. They've heard good things about you. They've heard about you. They have a head knowledge of you, but they have never trusted you and allowed you to sit on the throne of their lives. Maybe right here and right now in this moment, they could surrender the position in the throne of their life to you. If they could say something like this, dear Jesus, I do not understand it all, but nobody does. So in the best way I know how, I surrender control. I surrender the throne of my life to you, Jesus. Through your perfect life lived, through your surrendering your life on a cross to pay a debt that I could not pay, I say yes. I say yes to the fact that three days later you got up and overcame death, revealing to me that through you and only through you, 
that I can overcome death as well because you paid the debt in full. And so Jesus, I give you the throne of my life. And if you said something like that to Jesus right here, right now, in this moment, on the authority of God's word, it says you will be saved. Or you could say it this way, you are now sitting at the table of a king. Or you can say the right king Jesus sits on the throne of your life. Maybe you're in this place and you have said yes to Jesus, but yet your life is not reflecting that Jesus is the king of your life. You have put all kinds of idols on the throne. Maybe it is time to allow the Holy Spirit to do a renovation on your kingdom. Maybe it's time to allow the rightful king to sit on the throne of your life and may your steps follow what your eyes are fixed upon. So Jesus, thank you for what you are up to and thank you for what you have done. And our prayer in this place is that we not just be hearers of your word, but that we will go walk out in faithfulness what has been revealed to us in this place. And so Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.